If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Today on Watching Your Wealth, we answer your personal finance questions. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Paul Palazzo is Managing Director and a Financial Advisor at Altfest Personal Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Oh, you're very welcome, Veronica. It's a true pleasure to be here. Great to have you. So we're going to answer some uh, listener questions today, but before we start doing that, I want to note that we are giving some general tips and guidelines here because the information our listeners give gave us was somewhat limited, and that's fine. But folks should really check with their financial advisor for specific recommendations, as everyone's situation is different. So without further ado, we have a full show, so let's go right to our first question. Hi, my name is Blake from Washington, D.C., and my question is... Um my brother and I, like everyone else, have grandiose ideas of becoming the next Warren Buffett. It's incredible that a young boy who delivered newspapers would go on to be one of the wealthiest people in the world. While the odds of that happening for us is slim, how does one get started making money in the stock market when you don't already have a decent amount of cash to get started? If I have, say, $1,000, what can I do with that money to turn it into some starting capital to make larger and more lucrative investments? The reality is today, with student loans, modest wages, and little excess time, I'm doing well just trying to put money away from my retirement. Having anything left over to really start investing seems really hard. That's a great question from Blake, and I'm guessing he's a young person because he mentioned student loans, and that's an issue facing a lot of young people today, wanting to save, wanting to invest, but having limited resources to do so. So I'm wondering, Paul, do you have any uh, thoughts for Blake? Yeah, that's a terrific uh, question, Blake. And first of all, congratulations, because you're really focused uh, on the exact right thing as far as, as far as I'm concerned, and that's the long term. And when you refer to uh, Mr. Buffett, that's always been a, a key tenet of his, which is uh, to focus on, on the long term and, and stay steady. And you mentioned putting aside money for your retirement. And and uh, the investment, the investing part of it is extremely important, obviously, and, and we'll get to that in, in one second. But just the fact that you're saving money in the long run, uh, the investment decisions you make, assuming they're not uh, catastrophic, assuming you're, assuming you're just making sound fundamental decisions, what you're saving is actually probably more important than, than how you invest it. Uh, but getting back to the, to the question, uh, you're focused on, on the long term and you can apply uh, Mr. Buffett's value investment uh, tendencies and his goals to, to what you're trying to accomplish even though uh, with, your, with your savings for retirement, even though at the beginning you may not be buying individual stocks and certainly not individual companies, but you'll be focused on mutual funds in the name of uh, diversification. But the key on, on value investing is extremely important. And uh, value investing essentially means buying things for less than their worth intrinsically and selling things that are more than their worth in, intrinsically. They also, as I mentioned, focus on the long term and uh, key keeping your head, keeping a steady approach through the years, uh, not getting caught up in trying to time markets, uh, being focused on and not getting caught up in the emotions of the market and trying to time things and 
avoiding the panic of selling when your securities are going down or, or the greed of wanting to buy more when everything's going up. Actually, if you're looking for a terrific primer on, on getting there, I'd recommend that you take a look at the book, uh, The Intelligent Investor, which was written by uh, Benjamin Graham many, many years ago. In fact, if you get a copy of the edition I have on the, on the cover, you'll see a quote by Warren Buffett, uh, by far the best book inve- on investing ever written. Uh, Mr. Graham was a, uh, a mentor uh, to, to Warren Buffett, and particularly Warren suggests you focus on uh, chapters 8 and 20, and I would second those recommendations there. If you're just getting started in, in the investing game, they're really terrific fundamental uh, concepts in those two chapters that are well worth following. Also, one last point on that. The concept of value goes beyond just your portfolio. It can be transferred to every element of your of your financial lives, whether you're buying or renting a home, whether you're uh, debating how to pay down your debt or whether you're ultimately borrowing money for whatever purposes, any financial decisions you make uh, looking for sound value. And even beyond that, uh, when we look at lifetime financial planning, Value, the concept of value applies to every, virtually every financial decision you'll make in your life. And, and you, you talk about your hard-earned money and, and how do you put it to work for you, not only in your investments, but in your day-to-day decisions. When you're spending your money, what gives you value? And it, it may not always be financial value. It may be social value. It may be spiritual value. Uh, it, it may be fun value. Uh, but the way for a financially healthy life is to also, in my opinion, is always to be asking yourselves those questions with every uh, dollar of your hard-earned money uh, that you spend. Am I getting true value for what I'm spending? That's excellent advice, Paul. I love how you brought up spending, too, because so often from my reporting and what I hear from talking to you and some other financial advisors, many other financial advisors telling me this, is you can have the investment piece on lock. You can be doing great with that. But if your cash flow is off, if you're spending too much, no matter what age you are, no matter the most – you could have the most brilliant investment strategy, but if you're living above your means and spending too much, you could you know, really hurt yourself financially. So – I think that's great that you brought that up. I also uh, want to echo what you said is, you know, it's really great that you know he's thinking about these things right now. $1,000 is a great starting point to get in the market. Excellent also that you have a 401k and you're investing in it, doing some really nice things to set you up for the future. So congratulations on that, Blake. Thanks for your question. I think we have another question. Hello, my name is Ron Wilson, and I'm calling from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I'd like to know if you can recommend any software programs which would allow an individual to calculate systematic withdrawals from a 401k or an IRA plan over the course of their projected lifespan, one which would also take into account the tax implications of the withdrawals. This is another good question because I think folks are always trying to make sure that their money lasts throughout retirement and thinking about taxes is also a big issue for many of our listeners. So any thoughts on this one, Paul? Yeah, I think it's Ron. That was another good question. So just in terms of figuring out the distributions, if you're somewhat familiar with spreadsheets, you can do it fairly easily. 
uh, you start with your required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half, and they're based on uh, the, the 1231 balance from the previous year and withdrawing an amount required by the IRS based on the IRS tables. And in the first year, it's it's a little over 3.5% of the account balance that you have to take out, about 3.6%. So if you were to set it up on a, on a spreadsheet, it would be fairly easy to do. You start with, with, say, $100, and you make a reasonably conservative assumption for an investment return. So let's say you choose 5%. So you start with $100 in the first year, and you earn 5%. So you earn $5, and your required minimum distribution on that would be about 360. So if you net that out, it's about 100. At the end of the year, you'd have about $102.40. And you just uh, continue that process uh, down the line, going according to the IRS tables. And of course, if you were adding additional withdrawals that you were making beyond the required amount, then you could just factor that in as well. So that's somewhat easy to do. The tax end of it is, is much more challenging, and it's where I would recommend that you, you look for professional advice in that regard, your tax planner or your or financial advisor. And I'll tell you why. Your taxes will change uh, routinely, and they're going to change, they're going to be based not only on the uh, distributions from the 401k or IRA, but on all of your finances. So if you have profits from uh, non-IRA investment accounts, uh, Social Security, pensions, any other outside account, it's also going to depend on uh, your exemptions and deductions and what tax bracket you're in, as well as that of your, your spouse if you're uh, filing jointly. So those calculations are going to change. And of course, uh, the changes in tax law. We're having those discussions now. There's talk of uh, significant, potentially significant changes in the tax code. So trying to to predict down the line what your tax ramifications of that are going to be get extremely challenging, and I, I think you'd be wise to get professional consultation on that. I think that's good advice because even the tax professionals I'm speaking to these days are saying there's so much uncertainty, it's difficult to plan. So if they're saying it's difficult to plan, I would imagine it's really difficult for folks without a CPA to be thinking about that. So another great question. Thanks for your question, Ron. And I believe we have another retirement question. Hi, this is Mike from Dallas. I'm going to have to uh, take minimum required distributions on my RA this year. I don't need the money for living expenses and will probably transfer the holdings in kind uh, to my brokerage account. Aside from dollar cost averaging, is there any timing strategy that is preferable? For example, at a market top or a market bottom. Also, I wanted to know what characteristics of my equity holdings would be best to transfer. Mm-hmm. Another good question from Mike. That market timing question often comes up with folks. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that, Paul. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Mike. Another good question. First off, if you're thinking as as I would be about your per- portfolio as one, then there wouldn't be any immediate changes called for if you're just making a transfer from your IRA into a non-retirement account. Because again, you're looking at your uh, portfolio overall. So for example, if a blend of 60% stocks and 40% bonds, just to pick one example, was appropriate for you before the transfer, there would be no uh, immediate need that I would see to change that allocation. Uh, based on a transfer. You might make a, a small adjustment if you were withholding money for income taxes and that threw the balance a little bit out of whack. You could make some uh, uh, adjustments. other, th- uh, But otherwise, we wouldn't think that would be necessary. Now, as far as trying to time the market, if we go back to an earlier question we had, 
Uh, we don't believe in trying to time the market, and dollar cost averaging can certainly make sense in, in some instances. But getting back to value investing, we think that over shorter periods of time and even over longer periods of time, uh, the market can remain uh, irrational. So trying to time tops and bottoms can be extremely challenging, and we think you come out behind more often than you come out ahead by doing that. Now, that's not to say that you can't and shouldn't make tactical uh, adjustments. For example, if you find if we're in an environment where just for example, you feel that international securities are uh, more attractive value from a valuation standpoint than domestic in the U.S., then you maybe put a little bit more money there or vice versa. Or if you feel that uh, United States small cap stocks are more attractive or less attractive than, than large caps, then you can make some uh, adjustments there. But as far as the overall balance of stocks and bonds go, Within certain ranges, we feel like those are longer-term decisions based more on your financial circumstances and your tolerance for risk. And while there may be some adjustments there based on what you see happening in the market, uh, generally we don't feel like there are dramatic uh, changes involved there. As far as what kinds of securities, you generally want to put your your least your less tax-advantaged investments in your tax-deferred accounts. So we would generally think that you'd put your your bonds and more of your bonds, taxable bonds, in your retirement accounts, more equities, and, and of course, tax, any tax-free municipal bonds you have in your uh, non-IRA, non-401k accounts. And the other factor there is if, if you have a an equity mutual fund, for example, that's got a lot, has a history of a lot of short-term uh, capital gains, there again, that's not a that's not tax advantage, so those might be uh, better placed in the retirement accounts. More great tips. Uh, Paul, I want to go back to something you said before. You know, I believe in sticking to that long-term strategy, matching your goals with your long-term uh, time frame. The tactical piece you're talking about, I think it depends on each person, but roughly how much of a person's portfolio should be in that tactical uh, place is it you know ten percent you know you're you're saving ten percent on the side so you can take advantage of those tactical investments or is there any guideline we can yeah I don't know that there's there's a firm guideline the important point is uh, to some extent it would depend on how astute you are as an investor and how much time you're putting into this and, and your ability and, and to follow the markets and have an informed opinion. But we wouldn't consider it dramatic. We would be consider those changes at the margins. You want The key is you want to retain a very well diversified portfolio. It provides a lot of, uh, of risk reduction and you want to focus on value in the markets and then changes according to asset classes or that sort of thing. Uh, you really you can do it at the margins where you see pockets of opportunity, uh, but you want to keep it in check. Paul, this is some really smart info. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to have you answer another question. My pleasure, Veronica. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Need to check in on Wall Street? Listen to Heard on the Street and stay one step ahead of the headlines only on WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. 
Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. Financial advisor Paul Palazzo is answering your personal finance questions. So I think we've got another question. Hi, this is Don from St. Louis. I currently have three 401k accounts, two from former employers and one with my current employer. I do actively check them and move money around within them. Each have different options for me to invest in and perform at different rates. Is the wisest play to leave them as is and continue to juggle or consolidate them and manage just one? Which option is best for long-term growth? I like that he's thinking long-term. That's a really smart question of Don. I think several people are in this situation where they may have several 401ks at different employers and are trying to figure out what to do. What do you say? Yeah, another excellent uh, question. So strictly from an administrative standpoint or from a management standpoint, in a perfect world, you'd like to have just one account. It just makes it easier to manage, easier to trade, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, you want to understand from each account how attractive the options are. You certainly wouldn't want to close out an account that had attractive options just because it was easier uh, to manage. So you want to understand it from two standpoints. How good are the investment options and how wide, how diversified are the investment options in each plan? And uh, are there fees involved? What fees are you paying uh, both on the underlying funds and whether there are any administrative costs uh, involved in the plan? So obviously you want to pick out the most attractive options. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the 401k has to have all terrific options for you to keep it. There may be a benefit to diversification. For example, one plan you have may have better equity funds. Another plan you may have may have better bond funds. And so you might want to keep those to get the best of, of both worlds. So really as a subjective thing and you want to form some judgments on how good the investment options are and the fees in, in each of those accounts. You have the option, you may have the option depending on the plan where you, you are currently employed to roll the old 401ks into the new 401k. And again, that would be a, a decision based on uh, ease of management, but also the attractiveness of the options. As far as the old 401ks uh, go, there is a further option of potentially rolling them into an IRA. And one advantage of potentially rolling into an IRA is you may very well, if, if you're within a custodian who has the entire universe of investments to choose from, you'll have much more uh, flexibility there. You want to be sure with the right custodian. The second thing to keep in mind there before you do that is, uh, is you want to check on your state law and uh, be sure that uh, – IRA rollover IRAs in your state enjoy the same level of uh, protection uh, creditor against creditor risk as 401ks would and or at least a level of risk protect creditor protection that you are comfortable with and if you have questions on that we would certainly recommend uh, consulting with an attorney on that that's some good tips again I, I like that you brought up fees and uh, the different fund choices because fees so often we hear what people pay in fee can really fees really eat into their returns long term so you want to think about that also, when it comes to funds, I think you mentioned this, but you want to make sure there's no overlap within the funds you own. So you might have a 401k with X, Y, and Z fund. 401k B may have some overlap in terms of what you're owning. So you may have more risk than you realize, and you may be duplicating your investments. So that's something to think about, too. Anything else to add about that? No, only I, uh, the last thing I would add is if you're keeping track, if you are merging accounts, you'll also want to uh, be sure you're tracking if you have made after-tax contributions over the years for future tax purposes that you're active, act, 
accurately reflecting um, those amounts between the before-tax contributions and earnings on one hand and the after-tax contributions on the other hand. Good point, indeed. Uh, Thank you so much, Ron, for that question. And thank you all for sending in your questions. Thank you, Paul, for sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure, Veronica. You're very welcome. Thank you. And do you have a personal finance question you'd like us to answer? We'd love to have you on the show to ask it. And ladies out there, we've got many questions, but none from women, all from guys. So I challenge the ladies out there to send us your questions as well. Email us at podcasts at DowJones.com. This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.